This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, back on the air again today and uh, lots on the go. So let's get right to it, shall we? Premier Andrew Fury says he awaits a response from Quebec Premier Francois Legault on ongoing discussions to reopen the Upper Churchill contract to allow Quebec more power. And you just heard VOCM's Noah Shepard read this one in the news. Fury spoke with reporters in Quebec City this morning following meetings of the Eastern Canadian Premiers and New England governors. Quebec Premier Francois Legault has indicated he would be willing to renegotiate the contentious and lopsided Upper Churchill contract before it expires in 2041 in order to purchase more power from the Churchill Falls hydro development. Well, Premier Andrew Fury joins me now on the line from Quebec. Premier Andrew Fury, you're in Quebec City with the uh, meeting of uh, New England governors and uh, Eastern Canadian premiers. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, what came up in conversation? Well, Linda, it was a it was a great opportunity to make sure that uh, the premiers of Atlantic Canada, the premier of Quebec, and of course the New England governors understood exactly how well positioned Newfoundland and Labrador is in this uh, time of transformation and transition with respect to our critical minerals, with respect to our hydroelectric capacity, with respect to our hydrogen, and of course our petroleum industry. So it was it was a good opportunity to make sure that they uh, fully grasped the opportunities that were just north of their borders. It was equally important to understand that some of the challenges that we all face collectively know no boundaries or no borders when it comes to things like climate change or extreme weather events and it's important that uh, as we we need to work together uh, not in silos uh, to advance uh, this time of transformation and transition it was it was a great discussion and uh, newfoundland and labrador was well showcased now, this is your second opportunity, I suppose, to flog uh, Newfoundland oil. You just came back from uh, Fort McMurray. Now you've done it in uh, Quebec City. So uh, some p- people might ask, you know, why oil and gas at this particular time? Um, what's your response to, uh, I, su- I suppose, questions about um, uh, advocating for oil and gas when we're at this juncture when it comes to climate change and the like? Of course, we take climate change extremely serious, and uh, I think every Newfoundlander and Labradorian uh, appreciates and understands the impact of climate change and extreme weather events. And that's why we think our product uh, right now is an important one in the world mix. And given the ESG, the environmental pressures, given the geopolitical tensions that exist around the world, the oil product off our shore is uh, is extremely valuable. The Bay de Nord find, for example, is estimated to be at 8 kilograms of carbon per barrel. Right now, in the oil sands, it's 80 kilograms per barrel. So they're investing in technologies and innovations that can reduce the carbon footprint in Alberta down to where ours is already right now because of the, the sweetness of the petroleum product and because it's not landlocked. 
That said, we appreciate that this is a time of transition. The transition is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in two years. If you look at the projections, these are decade-long transitions. We want to get there quickly. We need to get there urgently, but there will always be a need for petroleum products. And when you look at the carbon impact of ours compared to others, it's important that we make sure others are aware of that on the global stage. Now, I understand that uh, conversation has been had uh, or is being had regarding the Upper Churchill and renegotiating that particular uh, lopsided, contentious uh, contract. Uh, what can you tell us about where those discussions are right now? Sure, sure. I mean, I'm not going to, as I've said before, uh, negotiate in, in public with with Premier Legault. Uh, certainly, I don't think that that would be in the best interests uh, of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. That said, uh, I did take uh, this moment in time uh, to ensure that the New England governors understood that 15% of Hydro-Quebec's firm capacity uh, comes from Newfoundland and Labrador. I also made sure that they understood uh, that they're one of the only places uh, to expand a hydroelectric footprint is in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, so they now have an appreciation uh, for what was always, you know, for them, a silent uh, deal. Uh, they have an appreciation uh, for uh, our capacity uh, with existing assets and future assets. They also have an, a, a fuller uh, understanding of how unfair and inequitable uh, the 2041 deal has been to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. I heard the reporters in Quebec City asking you this morning, uh, is compensation part of this um, conversation? Uh, certainly, we're, again, I'm not going to, uh, to negotiate in, in public. Um, we're anxious uh, and ready uh, to receive uh, any offers uh, from Hydro-Quebec uh, or Premier Legault. Uh, as I've said before and will continue to state, we would like to do a deal. Uh, but we don't have to do a deal. So, therefore, we will only do the best deal for Newfoundland and Labrador. And what is it that Quebec is looking for from us? Well, you can imagine um, they, we represent 15% of their firm capacity currently. They have pressures, industrial pressures, domestic pressures, export pressures um, in the short, medium, and long term. Um, but utilities, uh, generally their horizons are 10, 20, 30-year contracts. So uh, 2041 is today. So they need to solve, uh, they need to make sure that they have their existing capacity intact before they even begin to tackle the future demands and pressures of electrification of their grid and, and further exports to the northeastern seaboard, for example. So they can't really have those conversations until uh, they have secured a, uh, a deal beyond 2041 uh, with Newfoundland and Labrador. And I can understand that for people listening and, and the general public, 2041 seems like a long ways away. But if if, if you look at the horizons for their contracts, it's today, 20, 30 years. If you look at the time that it would take for them to build an asset, even if they had the capability or the capacity to build an asset that would match uh, Churchill Falls, they'd have to have shovels in the ground almost tomorrow. Uh, so all of those, uh, those two important uh, timelines create a sense of urgency and importance uh, for Quebec and, frankly, places Newfoundland and Labrador in a great negotiating position. And what about Gull Island? 
Well, again, we're in listening mode. Um, as I've said before, uh, we're happy to receive any offers um, uh, from Hydro Quebec or other other uh, other investors. If, if that if they're so, we're always receiving offers for different assets, for different resources that we have. Uh, but I will say that uh, any progress uh, on any development of new uh, new developments uh, will involve due uh, consultation with our Indigenous partners. Premier Andrew Fury, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much, Linda. That's Premier Andrew Fury in Quebec for a meeting of the New England governors and Eastern Canadian premiers. If you have anything to say on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, um, this has really uh, taken off in the last short while. Opposition parties now calling on common speaker Anthony Rota to step down after he invited a man who fought for the Nazis to attend Friday's speech by Ukraine's president in the House of Commons. Rota stood in Parliament this morning and said he alone was responsible for inviting and recognizing Yaroslav Hunka, saying he is deeply sorry he offended many with his gesture and his remarks. NDP House Leader Peter Julien says Rota's error brought disrepute to the House of Commons and he believes a sacred trust has been broken. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the incident is deeply embarrassing to Parliament and to all Canadians and uh, Rota's comments in the House of Commons uh, when 98-year-old Yaroslav Hunka was um, uh, presented to the House of Commons on Friday was here we we have here in the chamber today a Ukrainian-Canadian war veteran from the Second World War who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops even today at his age of 98. Rota said on Friday, and I'm quoting from CTV here, I am very proud to say that he is from North Bay, from my mining uh, riding of Nipis- Nipissing, Nipissing, sorry, Tamiskaming. He is a Ukrainian hero and a Canadian hero, and we thank him for all his service. Well, you don't have to know very much about the Second World War to know that the, the Russians or the Soviets were an ally. They were on our side fighting against the Nazis. So if you were fighting against the Soviets in the Second World War, you were on the Nazi side. And that is exactly what Yaroslav Hunka apparently was uh, fighting on the uh, Nazi side. He stood and he was invited into the House of Commons and uh, applauded um, as a hero. So a very embarrassing moment, no doubt, yeah. for the Canadian government. I saw the clip on that. Um, my question is, though, has to do with him taking full responsibility. Is he just doing that so other people don't get into trouble? You know, like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Judging by. That uh, is, uh, yeah, that is one of the big because, questions, Because, I mean, how do you go ahead and do all that? There would have to be some sort of a protocol even for somebody to be even present there. So, yeah, that. that that just that's a lie on top of doing something that's just against protocol and, and to yeah. uh, you know in those comments too to you know uh, color over yeah. yeah cover over yeah exactly um you know um uh, i don't know you know uh, was it whistling past the graveyard so to speak you know how could you not know that uh, he was fighting for the nazis if he was fighting against the soviets in the second world war Uh, Anyway, important for us all to know our history, no doubt. Uh, And uh, a great embarrassment on the Canadian government. Well, 
that is uh, all over the news today. Well, coming up, Mad Canada unveils some memorial benches to the victims of impaired driving. This is News Talk on VOCM. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, a bench remembering a man killed by an impaired driver has been unveiled outside motor vehicle registration in Mount Pearl today. The memorial bench remembers Nicholas Coates, who was killed by an impaired driver back in 2013, um, right down here on Kenmount Road, not very far from our studios. Uh, Service NL Minister Sarah Studley spoke to reporters, including VOCM's Noah Shepard, who was at the event here. Here's some of what she had to say. Patricia Heinz-Coates and her family approached uh, government a few years ago and uh, working with Mad Canada, uh, they provided a bench in memory of Nick Coates. Um, so we finally have it installed here at motor registration in the front. And it's really a visceral reminder when you see it that impaired driving really does cause significant harm and damage and takes lives. Um, you know, impaired driving is one of the leading causes of death in Canada, and it's completely preventable. It's infuriating. Uh, so we, you know, from the Highway Traffic Act perspective, you know, we're always looking at how we can make things stronger to really deter uh, illegal behavior. Um, so we do have some of the strongest impaired driving laws in the country, particularly for drivers 22 years and under. There's zero tolerance for any alcohol in your system whatsoever. Um, so I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, and we have very strong... Um, you know, uh, impoundment rules so you lose your vehicle for seven days or 30 days um, and if if you are uh, found guilty of, of um, impaired driving then we do have a 12 month mandatory interlock program at, that uh, you have to put in at your own cost uh, and I get a lot of complaints about that uh, so I, I, I think that that means it's working uh, you know it's a huge inconvenience for people and so I think that's just a reminder it's a small inconvenience but uh, you know very uh, nothing compared to this the impact uh, for example of the high Coates family of losing uh, their son Nick um, to an impaired driver so uh, we're very thankful to the the family and to Mad Canada for putting this bench here at motor registration it's one of the highest traffic areas uh, in the province I guess of people coming to do motor registration transactions when you get your permit test you have to come here to get your card uh, when you do your driver's license to get do your test um, so hopefully uh, people will see it and think twice about their behavior the new drivers come here to get their permit test um, you know I when I was a new driver you know you, you don't really have the same um, thoughtfulness I guess and, and understanding of what your behavior and the impact that that can have on other people um, and so we have this bench here now thanks to the the Coates family and Mad Canada and Nick's pictures on it and I think you know Nick was a young gentleman when he when he tragically passed away because of an impaired driver uh, and so I think it's an important reminder to all of us and you know I think seeing that picture as you walk in is a very striking uh, it's a very visceral reminder um, that your actions have consequences. And so as, as a new driver for people 22 and under, uh, there's zero tolerance. You can have zero alcohol in your system uh, when you're driving. And then we have qu quite small amounts allowed uh, for over 22. Um, but we're always looking at the Highway Traffic Act to make sure that our um, penalties and, and laws uh, are deterring people. And so that's, that's something we're always looking at. Um, I'm very proud that we have some of the strongest laws laws in Canada for impaired driving and we have the strongest laws in Canada for you know speeding stunting racing uh, driving over 50 kilometers an hour 
Uh, so we're something we take very seriously. I think any impaired driving is too many, and any accident resulting from an impaired driver uh, is too, is one too many. Um, you know, when you get in your car, whether you're a passenger or a driver or a pedestrian, you know, you really expect to come home at the end of the day. And so I think it's imperative for all drivers to really understand the weight, the the privilege it is driving, and uh, how dangerous. Um, helpful and but potentially dangerous our vehicles can be uh, and that responsibility we all have to take extremely seriously so that families like the Coates family you know don't have to go through this tragedy in the future. You mentioned about uh, how stiff the laws and regulations are. Are we seeing numbers of impaired drivers dropping because of this? Um, I don't believe we're seeing uh, numbers dropping. Um, it's unfortunate Um we're always looking at, you know, what other provinces are doing. Uh, you know, we recently made changes to um, the stunting and racing and speeding over 50 kilometers an hour. And we do have the strongest uh, laws in Canada for new drivers around that at the moment. If you're caught, you completely lose your license. Uh, so we're always looking at um, the impaired driving laws and, and all the Highway Traffic Act laws. Um, I guess laws are one thing. We, we need people to take action. Uh and so I think this bench is a really helpful reminder for any, anyone coming to motor registration, but particularly, you know, new drivers uh, in the metro region have to come here when they get their physical permit card and the first time they, you know, do the road test. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that they see Nick's picture on the, the bench. It's really striking and that it really has an impact on them. That's um, Service NL Minister Sarah Studley speaking with reporters today outside motor vehicle registration in Mount Pearl, where they unveiled a, a new memorial bench uh, remembering Nicholas Coates, and his family has done a lot of work uh, to support the work of MAD Canada. Meanwhile, a second memorial bench unveiled last week in Torbay. The bench remembers John F. Martin, who was killed by an impaired driver in 1986. MAD Canada joined Martin's family for the official dedication last Thursday. The bench has been placed at Upper Three Corner Pond Park. Um, so uh, a number of benches in and around. Just to remind people, I suppose, to honor the memory of those lost and to remind people of the devastating impact that impaired driving can have. And sadly, Sarah Studley says uh, she doesn't think that the impaired driving stats have changed all that dramatically over the years, which is uh, really a sad, sad testament when you consider that, you know, if you're driving home the today or if you're uh, darting over to see a friend or if you're just going out to get your groceries and you're struck by somebody who has decided, uh, despite all the urgings and all the public awareness, to pick up those keys, get in the car, turn the engine and go, despite the fact that they are impaired. Um, it's uh, really quite staggering. They change, those types of actions can change lives for ever. Well, this Saturday is a very important day right across Canada. It's the day uh, for Truth and Reconciliation, sometimes known as Orange Shirt Day, and it's to raise awareness about, uh, in particular, the residential school system in Canada and what it did and what it continues to do. Uh, to generations of Indigenous people who were left to feel ashamed of who they were and uh, to 
as a form, and some people have said this, a form of cultural genocide, uh, s- ripping them from families, uh, separating them from their families, and sort of cutting off those all important cultural ties uh, that makes it difficult for you to uh, continue to be the person that you grew up being, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, But uh, we've seen a lot of action and awareness in the last little while, and I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, Claudette, but just about every business you go into now um, honors truth and reconciliation with uh, an item or two, those kinds of things, you know, whether it be uh, an orange cupcake to, you know, orange T-shirts or whatever the case may be. And uh, raising awareness is absolutely key. And um, doing something to feel as though you're making a difference in those regards is important as well. A lot of people feel like they're really doing something that's going to help uh, by purchasing these items. But how do you know that the uh, money that is being raised by some of these um, items and events and those kinds of things are going towards uh, truth and reconciliation or um, helping those who are survivors of residential schools or helping even indigenous groups or business people, um, whatever the case may be. So I've often wondered about that. but uh, there is a group now, experts say knowing where your money is going is crucial to supporting Indigenous businesses for Truth and Reconciliation Day. That means looking for an explanation or a label about the product's origin and looking for Indigenous vendors who promise to send proceeds to groups that raise awareness about residential school survivors. Now, I noticed that some companies and businesses will have proceeds from the sale of these items will go towards, and they'll, they'll clearly map it out for you right but some don't some just have orange items some do and but sometimes you know there's also another way to look at it i was at a store over my lunch break you know a craft store and they were selling orange shirts for you to do whatever you wanted with so you could wear it to school kind of thing and that perhaps would have nothing to do with giving money to an indigenous group but it is helping the children wear orange at school for that particular day. Raising right? yeah, awareness, yeah. yeah. Raising for awareness. For certain, yeah. For certain things. Um, and, and, and that is what it is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If it's just a plain orange shirt here. Here you go. Here do you go. Do as it, with it as you feel, see fit. Exactly. Then yeah. that's something different. I think that's above board. I Absolutely. Do, I, I do too. Um, but the Support Orange Shirt Society has a, now has a list of official retailers on its site and the online platform Biscayne has built a custom verification process for hosting authentic Indigenous artists and vendors if if that's something that you feel you feel strongly about supporting. That's good to know yeah. because I don't think people are you know necessarily aware of that. So yeah because you, you know sometimes you're wondering if it's you know and yep. I get it you know business is an interesting thing and you know sometimes you wonder if it's a feel-good exercise or a, a marketing bandwagon or if it's you know towards a good cause and I think you know um, a lot of consumers want to know more and want to know that their money is being spent in certain ways if that's how they want it to right, be spent. Right, so it's important you know for us I mean. to know yeah. so, where to go. Yeah, so now you can uh, check out the or- Support Orange Shirt Society if that's something that you feel very strongly about, and many, many, many people do. Uh, so just let you know. Uh, we're up to news time now with Noah Shepard. This is News Talk on VOCM. VOCM. <laughs> 
Join Greg Smith weeknights at 5.45 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, a Memorial University graduate student is hoping to make a real difference in the lives of stroke patients. Michael Babalola is from Nigeria, and he got the inspiration, if you will, for this uh, new program he's put together from his own grandmother. Uh, And uh, he joins me now. Well, hello, Michael. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. So listen, uh, you are a grad student at uh, Munn's Faculty of Medicine, and you took your own personal experience with your dad and turned it into something uh, that hopefully will help an awful lot of people. Tell us, first of all, what inspired you? Yeah, um, my, my main inspiration came from my grandmother. So we spent a couple of time together when she was alive. She most of the time takes us out when mom and dad is busy working. We'll probably go to the store together, go to the park, and then have fun time. So uh, unfortunately, when she had a stroke, it was like the whole world changed for, for me and, and my siblings at, at that time. So we, we lost those scolding moments to that particular um, experience as she had um, dysfunction in her upper right hand and her lower right, le- lower right limb. It was so much that even her speech was a bit affected. So though that that really affected me as a person because I already built like a connection with her. Yeah. So after growing up, I started designing to understand why that happened to her, what could be done better, you know, and what we could have done. So that was the reason why I actually go, got into medicine. My background was in human physiology. And I had some years working in the tech space and also teaching robotics to a couple of people. So I would say my main, like, you know, reason of going to that area was my grandma plus my mom as well. She encouraged me to, you know, you know, contribute and touch lives. Well, that's wonderful. She's had a lasting impact. So tell us a little bit about this KinArm system and how you managed to uh, use virtual reality and robotics to deal with a, a medical issue. Yeah, so the KinArm uh, is, is a short name for kinesiological instrument for normal and ultra-reaching movement. Actually, it was, a, it was a 2D virtual reality robotic system that was developed by Dr. Stephen Scott, uh, a neuroscientist and a researcher at the Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, all thanks to uh, Dr. Michel Plomer's lab, the recovery performance laboratory here at the Miller Center, the fourth floor. So we got, she got to buy that uh, the device, and uh, we had it in the lab. And then she started, you know, looking at how we can use that research device to understand changes in. Uh, uh, new recovery changes, and how you can monitor that using assessment uh, and then treatment uh, and then testing. So the robotic device is just like a virtual to the robot system. So it helps inform, I guess, um, a, a doctor or or uh, someone who's working with a patient more about the patient and how they're able to move. 
Yes, yes. It actually informs, uh, it helps the clinicians to actually understand uh, more about the patient's uh, performance, recovery, and also dysfunction. So it has, yeah, in two minutes, 30 seconds, it can collect over 300 data sets that help us to understand the functionality of the, of the patient or the participant. So let's say we have someone that has like a, a severe paralysis to the right arm. So the very first day of coming to the lab and doing the research on the robot, we can see how severe yeah, is uh, limbs are in terms of him performing the task we have on the on the Kinam system, and then we can be able to monitor. We can bring in interventions like using a robotic exercise that is under safe um, uh, monitoring, and using that to prime the brain for change. And we can see the effect of that and monitor uh, use, using the Kinam to monitor the uh, the intervention by assessing if there was change. So it helps clinicians to actually you know uh, actually be able to monitor changes and uh, the arm changes in the long run. That's fascinating. So what do you think your grandmother would say about all of this? Uh, You know, I've never been happy in my life like this moment. I think think because my desire in life as a person is to touch lives. So whenever I find myself, whenever space, I leave everybody smiling. Right now, I can say looking down from heaven, she would be like very glad that, you know, I'm contributing to something that would help the next generation and even the current aging population where I am. So I'm, I have that very much assurance that she's smiling up there today when I say, well done, my boy. You just did a great job. I have no doubt that that's exactly what she's doing. So, um, Michael, uh, will this Kinarm be used in other areas? Like, has it been marketed in any way? Uh, so currently, that's, that's what we are doing right now. It's currently going into research to fully explain to clinicians the effect and the positive role uh, that it plays been uh, incorporated into the clinical practice. So we're hoping in the long run, that's one of the reasons why I even wanted to. I, why, that, that was one of the reasons why I put all my passion into it, to be able to show the world out there that incorporating this into clinical practice would enhance um, recovery and also speed up assessment time and also improve quality of life in the long run. So we're hoping that gets to be able, can be able to translate that into uh, clinical practice in the long run. Michael Babalola, I really appreciate you telling us about this uh, fascinating system that you've uh, put together and that it's um, making a difference in people's lives. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I also want to just say a very big thank you to Memorial University for actually um, creating an atmosphere and an enabling environment for us to be able to carry out this research. I also want to thank Dr. Michel Ploma, who is this, uh, the principal investigator for the Recovery Performance Laboratory, one of the best neuro, neuro, neuro lab in St. John's, uh, for actually investing in this particular device and helping us to be able to you know, explain to the world out there the role of robots in helping people to enhance their recovery. Michael, thank you. Thank you so much, Linda. So he's making a difference for stroke uh, recovery patients. Just amazing. Uh, Using robotics, can you imagine, in virtual reality to identify more quickly uh, because, you know, a lot of them have to go through physio and that sort of thing to strengthen their arms or their legs or whatever happens to be affected. Um, And uh, it's kind of a long, arduous process, and not a lot of stroke victims look forward to that. Uh, But he's taken that, and and through, through this system, he's able to identify exactly where 
the work needs to be done and if then they've improved they yeah. can focus on that instead of you know doing these sort of generic things that uh, people hate doing <laughs> and, and of course relying on patients as well to you know just say oh yeah i think i have improved in that but they can tell for sure they if, if, if tell, they've yeah. Im- improved i just love how he has created his passion you know he took his passion to make a difference in others lives i mean he did robotics or learned about robotics on his own personal time yeah. too like yeah what he, a man <laughs> med, yeah a medical student who is, you know drew as inspiration his own grandmother and and her mm-hmm. experience and uh yeah and you know you wonder how many um people going through universities for instance and doing this kind of uh, research and that sort of you know what their personal stories are in getting to that place i guess that would be uh play um a tribute to his a little bit of a success too because he's fueled by what happened with his family member so yeah yeah. Interesting story. And the fact that he's thinking about her looking down on him and saying, way to go. <laughs> Good for you. You know, that will keep you going for Just, sure. It certainly would. Well, uh, what a what a lovely little story. Well, you're looking for a little more good news, huh? Uh, look no further than Conception Harbor. This is News Talk on VOCM. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, uh, the people of Conception Harbor have rallied around the local recreation committee in a success story that's sure to put a smile on your face. In case you missed it, here's my conversation with Conception Harbor Recreation Director Suzanne Curran on VOCM Open Line this morning. Um, I'm calling from the town of Conception Harbor, and I just wanted to share a little good news story to start everybody's week off. Fabulous. Uh Uh, We're currently undergoing some uh, upgrades to our recreational facility, and um, we had support through a grant as well. So we've been raising some money for this over the last year, and um, unfortunately, with things that were happening in the town lately, the town's portion of the project uh, was no longer available to us, which equated to about $8,000. So we found this information out last week, and of course, it was it was a blow to our group and to the community uh, because this eight thousand really was equivalent to thirty two thousand with the matching grant. Oh, I see. So without the municipal side of that, you don't get the additional federal and provincial. Is that correct? Um, well, yes, uh, we had fifteen thousand dollars ourselves as the committee to um, offer to the project, but the uh, the eight would have brought us up to twenty three. Gotcha. So with the matching grant, our project would have been at eighty three, eighty three, eighty four thousand dollars in total. So without that eight, we were down. Really, thirty-two thousand. Wow! So, so that's a big gap to fill. <laughs> it it was. So we pleaded. Uh, we were supposed to have our budget numbers ready for last week, but we pleaded with the agency and asked if we could have a little bit of extra time. And um, we were very fortunate that they did. So they gave us an extra couple of days to come up with the money. So we put a plea out to our community and to our businesses and sorry if I'm getting a little bit emotional, but it's been a very um, overwhelming week. Uh, We put a goal on of $8,000 and um, this morning we're happy to report that we actually made $12,000. In Little Conception Harbor. 
in Conception Harbour. And there was some surrounding businesses and people outside of the community as well. Um, I, it's, it's been amazing to see that support shown to us. That's extraordinary. It is, it is, it is. And I just wanted to share that, that, um, you know, there's been some dark clouds over the town lately, but it's not all dark and the, the clouds are parting and I think we're going to come out of this bigger and better. And our new motto is better together. Oh my goodness, what a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, so despite that adversary, uh, you managed to triumph with the help of the community. So uh, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now on this uh, this rec centre. Okay, well, um, our current members have been on the committee for probably the last eight, nine, ten years. And we've been actively fundraising. We've been doing uh, Chase the Eight. We, we were very successful with that for 92 weeks. So um, over the last six years, we've put about $300,000 worth of uh, infrastructure into our field, completely brand new playground, into our area, completely brand new playground, a brand new basketball court, a batting cage. We've replaced the sods and the uh, fencing on our ball field. And so we had a little, <laughs> what we jokingly called a little shack on the field where um, we have some of our equipment and things. So what's going to happen now, uh, that check is getting a makeover, and uh, we, we were able to build a new sh- storage shed to keep the things that were currently in there. So we're going to be able to have a little kitchen for canteen, an accessible washroom. And <laughs> what our biggest, our biggest plus was from this, and what, what we were really looking forward to gaining with this, was a large pavilion, gazebo-type structure, which would offer as a shelter uh, for our kids in the summer program uh, for picnics, barbecues, um, spectators during sporting events, um, and and we're going to have it. We're going to have it. Uh, in the coming weeks, all of these things are going to be completed on our field, and we're just over the moon, over the moon with the support. Oh, that's such a wonderful story. Just imagine now, and I mean, I, I know and we understand because we've been having these conversations over the last little while of some of the, the very serious difficulties that Conception Harbor has faced over the last little while. So this is, mm-hmm. this really, uh, I guess, puts a bit of bounce back in your step. It sure does. And it's, and it's not just the monetary support. It's the words of encouragement and the emails and the posts and the messages and the people driving, the driving force behind us. So on Friday, we had a little group in the community reach out and they wanted to do a toll bridge for us yesterday. So our fire department came up to help with safety and we did a two-hour toll bridge yesterday, which raised $2,100. Uh, I'd also like to send a shout out to Oliver Freeze Drive Candy in our community. Wonderful supporters. They actually donated 100 bags of Skittles yesterday and made special labels, uh, Conception Harbor Recreation Better Together, that we placed on those bags. So we were able to give those out to the first 100 donors that stopped by. Um, other, I, I don't want to start mentioning other businesses in the town with fear of forgetting somebody. But, but it's, been, it's been wonderful to see how a community who two weeks ago were feeling defeated has risen above the challenge and is moving forward for better days. 
Amazing. And, uh, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, we think about all of the very, very uh, serious challenges facing uh, people these days and and not only on, on an individual basis, but when you think about national politics and international politics and the like. But when it comes to um, things like recreation, these are the things that help to build communities. These are the things that in the end will help people decide, do I stay here? Do I go? Do I move there? Um, and these are vitally important, especially in rural Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, we've been so proud over the last number of years to visit our structure any given day. And there's somebody in some capacity using what's there. The playground, um, there's always kids there, uh, families, and there's the basketball court, which is also used a lot of times as a hockey rink for the um, and then, of course, the ball field is always busy and the batting cage. Uh, we have a lot of very talented ball players in our community, so that's used a lot. And I also forgot to mention the beautiful walking, paved walking trail we added last year um, to the facility as well. It's a trail right around the outside of the ball field. So there's been um, a lot of people coming from our community and out, um, the surrounding communities who have been availing of that as well. And that is uh, Suzanne uh, Curran with the Town of Conception Harbor's Recreation Committee. And isn't that amazing? They were looking for $8,000, and the community got on board in a big kind of way, and they got $12,000 just like that. Yeah, that was beautiful to hear. Yeah, love it. lovely, Com- lovely. When a community comes together. Especially in a community like Conception Harbor, which has been facing a few challenges of late. Um, not to kind of change the topic, but no, you mentioned Conception. You mentioned Conception Harbor, and um, I was just delighted. I saw this public service announcement come into VOCM, and as soon as I saw it, I started contacting my family members because I really want to go to it. Um, so it's the Halloween Harbor Haunt, and it is uh, the spokesperson. I guess we could call them a spokesperson. Is Mary Walsh, and it's running throughout October, starting on Friday, October thirteenth. So all these actors are going to be, you know, I guess, hiding or placed around certain areas. And, and you walk along and you're going to get frightened. But it, it, it was just right up my alley. So uh, there's information if you want to get more information on that, too. It's HalloweenHarborHaunt at gmail.com. So I just figured where you mentioned Conception Harbor, it's nice to get some more people into the to the area and enjoy the place, too. Well, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Uh, and, you know, what... Um what better place to celebrate Halloween than Newfoundland and Labrador? Because we have so many stories, so many ghost stories I mean, to tell. I'm sure if you and Dale Jarvis could just sit down, you could do a full show. Oh, on easily. It. Yeah. He's collected stories going back centuries yeah. in Newfoundland and Labrador and had stories that persist to this day. There's a lot of these, you know, real ghost stories, white, uh, person in white, you know, dress, dress or, long, or whatever, or period clothing. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many of those Walking stories along the sides of roads. And, and it, it's made national media as well, because I remember being really into watching true paranormal stories. And now and then all of a sudden they would share a story right from this province. And there's just so many to tell Newman Wine Vaults remember oh, there yes. was a wedding in the Newman Wine yes. Vaults and you know they were just taking regular old pictures uh-huh. and then whoa what the heck is that yeah 
Yeah. I love those stories. Oh, absolutely. So what better place than Newfoundland and Labrador? And, and we've got so many of these types of, I mean, Halloween is not just Halloween anymore. It used to just be on the 30th of October. Oh, it's a or, full or month. 31st. Yeah. First. first of October. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm not that much of a Halloween person, apparently, <laughs> according to that. But anyway, um, now it's the, like the whole month of October. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people now say I love fall, because they look forward to all of that. So much to do. There is. It's not just one day for kids. It's for adults. It's murder mystery parties, and it's dances. Now I say that, but I mean, <laughs> I'll decorate a little bit, but that, that's the extent of my celebration until I came across this public service announcement, and now I want to broaden my Halloween horizons. It. And of course, the haunted hike there's haunted hikes that yes, take place all over Newfoundland and Labrador true. but yep. you know the the Harbor Gray St. John's the well John's. known famous one is in St. John's mm-hmm. and you know Dale Jarvis was involved in that of course and uh, I remember going on that uh, years and years ago and wow I learned a lot yeah about, about the, the city of St. John's and yeah. the history here yeah just by doing that little uh, walk and some of the little laneways that, you know, you probably you just pass walk by, by and don't times. think about. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, there's a whole little area in here. Oh, and, that. and so the next time you go on those roads, it's going to evoke different feeling completely with that knowledge that you just gained. So I, th- I think that's pretty interesting that yeah. uh, so many of us, you know, there's so many little things that we can do. It's just getting out of our old routine and making it exciting again, you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, there's so much into Christmas. So much to do in our own backyard. <laughs> We're as, a tourism uh, ad, for as sure. As the tourism ads yeah. tell us all the time, but very true, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to, you know, go to work and come home, go to the cabin, come home, and, uh, you know, you Play got your little, little routine. Play catch-up. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Uh, and we got our little routines. And, we do. And, you know, have you ever been down that way? You know what I mean? Or yeah. have you ever been over that way? Or did you ever go down there? Right, and then you find you do it. You see everything differently. You, you really so do. do. I mean, you you just need a reset. You need a reminder, basically, which is why I love these little stories. Oh, excellent! So you're going to be telling us all about it. Then. <laughs> of course, I'll get my ghoul friends together. Your <laughs> ghoul friends, ha ha! I was waiting. Yep, I know. It wasn't I was me. It waiting. was the, in the public service announcement. <laughs> it's going to be spooktacular. <laughs> Um, Claudette, thanks for that. Uh, And uh, I bet a lot more people will be like you and join you on that one. Um, We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, I think my colleague Brian Callahan will be behind the microphone tomorrow because I will be doing the OCM open line for Patty Daly, playing a little bit of musical microphones, but we (laughs) love it. Uh, So do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone.